Let's continue worship with a reading from Scripture. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Please say hello to someone as you have a seat in middle school. You can go to your class. Yo, team. What's up? Y'all doing good? Glad you're at church. Good job coming back after we talked about money last week. I expected it to be me and my wife, and all you guys showed up, so thanks for that. Well done. Uh, real quick, I just want to give a, a shout out, uh, uh, an extensive thank you. Over 25 people gathered together um, to make Alpha a reality over the summer. Um, some people came every Wednesday, some people cooked every week, all to create an atmosphere where people can come and ask honest, hard questions about Jesus, where people could deal with their obstacles to faith. And it was an amazingly profitable atmosphere for my own soul. In fact, today we're talking about something that was provoked in my spirit as we were sitting around the table talking about our skepticism, about Christianity and God. Um, and so thank you for that. I just want to tell you, Alpha will be a steady diet at this church. Um, if we're not um, doing it now, we're going to be pointing to doing it in the future because we want to be a people who are serious about introducing others to Jesus. I don't know about you, he's made a big impact in my life. And I would like to tell other people that he's available and accessible and even interested in coming into their life in a real impactful way that makes a difference. And we want to be about that as a church. We want to be on mission, man. Church gets boring when it's, you make it about yourself. We want to be a church on mission. So thank you for that. It was amazing. Um, be looking out for the next iteration of Alpha. Okay, let's get in the Word. We're going to um, read uh, Hebrews 11 together. And today, I just would like to invite you to contemplate with me the nature of faith. What is it? Who has it? Why is it such a big deal? You guys cool with that? Let's do it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation, a commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And I'm, give, I'm giving you selections. The chapter goes on to give a biblical survey of a people who did things by faith. Um, it's interesting to point out, most of the things that is in this chapter, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith, if you've read it before. It's interesting to point out, most of the things that are pointed out about these people, what they are actions that they did in faith, which is fascinating to me. Um, some supernatural, and some just like normal. So by faith, it says, Noah built an ark. He just did something by faith. Uh, by faith, Abraham just got up and left 
<laughs> by faith, that's what it says. He left his homeland by faith, just walked out the door in faith. All right, that's fascinating. Doesn't seem very supernatural, does it? Uh, by faith, Sarah um, received the power to conceive. Talks about Moses being preserved by faith, leaving Egypt by faith, all these things, actions, and some natural, some supernatural, all done by faith. And then it goes, I'm, I'm sparing us the whole list because it goes on for quite some time, but now that I've talked this long, I could have just read it. Okay. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jeph, Jephthah. Yeah, good. David, of Samuel, and of the prophets who, through faith, check this out, conquered kingdoms. Come on, man, right? Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. Sign me up, right? Ninja samurai by faith, right? I'm into that. Put foreign armies to flight by faith. It's a pretty positive list, wouldn't you say? Like, I'll do that, sounds good. Now, but the author feels it's really important to give you this next list, which is very different than this list. But all this stuff in this next list is also done in faith. You ready for this one? Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, all by faith. It's a very different list, isn't it? Yes, it is. So we have this list of people who are just obedient, along with a list of amazing accomplishments, along with a list of people uh, willing to suffer and even die in faith. All these things done, acted out because of, motivated by, made possible by faith. And the whole point of this chapter is summed up in this right here. Ready? Therefore, all that to say, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to pray since we're at church and all. Jesus, we ask you right now that you'd make yourself known in this room, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds. Reveal yourself to us, God, that we might be people who can say from the bottom of our hearts, we believe. God, help us now as we wrestle with the nature of faith. God, would you profoundly challenge and provoke? Would you convict Holy Spirit? Would you prune where we need to be pruned? And would you cultivate where we need to be cultivated? All by the power of your word. We love you. And we pray these things. Amen. So, like I said, Alpha has really provoked me to just be thinking about this. What is faith? Why is it a big deal? What does it do? And who really has it? 
In Hebrews 11, we see faith in Christianity has at least two elements. Uh, there's a kind of basic underlying faith that has to do with just believing that God exists, that he's real. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And whoever would draw near to God, well, you, you got to believe he exists. Uh, this is one element of faith, isn't it? I'd guess we have people in this room who have struggled with just believing that God exists. Anyone want to fess up to that right now? No one in church? Okay. Just give you an opportunity to be brave. All right, maybe next time. Um, I know that I have lots of friends who have struggled with the basic belief that God is real, that he's out there. I was sitting around the table with people that found it profoundly difficult to believe that God was real, that he's even a, a, a real thing out there. And one of the guys came up with this analogy. It was so brilliant. I had to write it down. He's like, it's like we're sitting around this table and there's an empty chair over here. And he said, it's like all of you guys are telling me there's this girl named Jennifer and she's sitting right here in this empty chair. Meet Jennifer. And you're like, she's great. You should, you, she's there. You can't see her. And it's, and it's like, that's the kind of weirdness that he was like, I can't get behind this. I don't see Jennifer. And who does she think she is, right? In this chair, right? In our scientific materialistic age, we have very little imagination for things we can't see, right? And we should sympathize with people who struggle with this. We're, we're all a product of our age, and all of us probably at varying degrees wonder, are you really out there, God? Many have struggled with this, and many are struggling with this. So one element to faith is simply believing that God's there, that he's not a vacuum, that there's someone else on the other side, a beautiful mind, right? The unmoved mover, the creator of heaven and earth. This is basic fundamental faith that you just say, yeah, you know what? He's there. I look at the natural beauty of creation. I look at beauty itself. I look at pleasure. I look at all the beautiful things we enjoy. And I have to, I have to assume that there's a beautiful designer on the other side of this universe that we can't see. Okay, so that's where I tend to land. <laughs> also, I'm a pastor. So, uh, But then... When Christianity talks about faith, it also talks about something very, very different than that. Very different than that. Um, and we can use the word um, to help us understand what Christianity also means by faith. That's one element. Another element, the word we can use is the word trust. Now, trust is a very different category than what I just explained. I just talked about believing an idea, right? Uh, like looking at available evidence and saying, I think there's someone on the other side or not. You believe ideas, don't you? You trust persons. You believe ideas, you trust people. I know semantically that's not entirely true, but I'm like using words how I want to use them and I have the mic. So, <laughs> right? Ideas, you believe. And then people, you trust. There's a relational aspect there, isn't it? Both are based on available evidence that might not be a trustworthy person. Right? But the question is, is there data? Is there reason to believe that this person is trustworthy? Right? One, however, feels very scientific, doesn't it? Do I believe an idea or do I trust a person? One is scientific, one is relational. So maybe Jennifer's there, but if she is, how do I know she's trustworthy? And what kind of person is she? Now, the interesting thing in the Bible is it seems to kind of assume that first element of faith. And it doesn't spend much time trying to convince you that God's real. It takes that for granted. It doesn't take a lot of pages to say, hey, you, you know, there's really someone there. Just kind of, it spends most of its time trying to convince you that he can be trusted, that he's good, that he loves you, that you can actively rely on him. In fact, it says things like what we read in James. Hey, y'all, even the demons believe he exists. Oh, we read it. He says, you believe God's one. You do well. Even the demons believe that, duh, right? And shudder. Wait a second. Hold on now. Now we have to define some terms. I thought demons were the bad guys. And demons believe? 
Are demons Christians? It says they believe. What does the word believe mean? Well, if believe in the Bible only means does God exist, well, I guess demons are Christians. But that doesn't feel quite right, does it? Didn't it just say they believe? Okay, so is it possible to believe in the existence of someone but not trust them? Ah, maybe that's what it's getting at. When the Bible talks about faith, it's clearly not only talking about an intellectual idea of God, does God exist. If you think giving mental assent to the notion, yeah, there's a God and Jesus was a real historical person, if you think that makes you a Christian, that is not true at all because the demons know that, okay? I think there's a lot of people that think if they just believe that God exists, it's this kind of fallback safety security that at least will get them in the pearly gates after they die. According to the Bible, that's not what believing in God means. That's not what it means when it talks about, see, there's believing in God, and then there is believing God. You see, these are two very different things. What's that mean? You can believe Jesus existed, but that's not the kind of faith that transforms your life, does it? No, the question is not, do you think Jesus is real? The question is, do you think Jesus is right? That's the question. It's not, do you think he's real? Do you think he's right? Is he right about God? Are his claims true? Is he who he said he was? And did he actually do the things he said he did? If Jesus is who he said he was, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, then C.S. Lewis puts it this way. What a moment before... What would a moment before have been variations in opinion now become variations in your personal attitude towards a person? You are no longer faced with an argument which demands your assent, but a person who demands your confidence. If your idea of faith is simply believing God existed, it makes sense why that hasn't transformed your life. I wonder... If in our age we have an overly intellectual approach in which we can wrestle with ideas and theology and never be confronted with a real person who demands a real response, who has real claims on your life. And some things, y'all, can I be frank? My name's Chris, but I'll be frank for a second. Dad joke. Uh, in some ways, I think we hide behind intellectualism. I think we hide behind academic arguments and theological debates because it's safer to discuss ideas than it is to surrender to a person. See, we discuss ideas while sitting, don't we? Jesus seems to represent a fork in the road, which means you cannot respond by sitting. You have to get up and walk. It necessitates it. You cannot walk through the fork in the road unless you're walking. It's so much funner to just debate theology I love doing that. So much funner to just, you know, argue about things. Much more uncomfortable to surrender your life to a person. Theologians often substitute the word faith with words like this, allegiance or loyalty. They're trying to expand your idea of faith, and they're helping you see what faith actually means and does in your life. Faith means full allegiance to Jesus which means it's not an intellectual ascent, it's active present, it happens in real life. Now, I know the last time you pledged allegiance to something, it was the flag in elementary school, which meant nothing in your life, 
right? Little did you know, you were pledging loyalty to your nation. It's too late. You already done it, right? Um, <laughs> pledge allegiance to the, like, we had no idea what we're saying in, in that thing, right? It didn't change anything in your life. However, in the old times, when a warrior or a knight swore allegiance to a new king, a new conquering king, everything changed in his life. Now that warrior was now in the service. They obey his command, right? They yield to the new king's priorities. Now the new king, his word is life or death to them because they have pledged allegiance to a new king. When you give allegiance to something, you are saying you will be subordinate to it. You are saying you will submit to it. And I know we didn't know that in middle school, right? But almost before every parable, Jesus said this weird phrase. You know what he said? Almost all of his parables are describing something. He said, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, faith to Jesus means submitting to a king. It means submitting to himself. It's, and I'll be honest, like I said, it's much easier to understand faith in terms of agreeing to a set of ideas rather than being confronted with a king who has a rightful claim, right? I'd honestly much rather debate Calvinism than surrender to a king. And I dare say that many of our objections to faith that we disguise as intellectual or scientific or cultural are really an objection to you giving up control of your life. I would submit to you that many of you are on the outside of faith, not because you have intellectual uh, objections, but because you have objections to giving up authority in your life. You will not yield. You will not yield. And that's why we stay outside the kingdom. It's not intellectual at that point. It's about surrender to someone else who is smarter than you. Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus was intelligent? Do you believe that he was a smart person? Or have we relegated that just to scientists and people that know about facts? I'd like to submit to you that Jesus was the smartest man who ever walked on the face of the earth. And if you do not believe that, you will have trouble listening to him, won't you? It's, it's not intellectually honest, is it? To submit to someone if we don't think they're smart, right? So, if faith means allegiance, then the options are either full surrender or full rebellion. If the picture is a king and a kingdom coming, then it is either submission or mutiny. It is either surrender or sedition. And when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, these are the options he's giving you, right? And to say you have faith in Jesus, but to not obey him is not to have faith in him. As Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love someone, you listen to them. That's what faith looks like. Now, there's another way we can think about faith. There's another word we can use to help us understand what it means to be a Christian, which I assume some of you are interested in being since you're here. All right? Another word we can use when we think about faith is the word faithful. Faithful. Now, it seems to be that we're talking about completely different things. If someone says the word faith, we think of one thing. If someone says the word faithful, well, how do you know if someone's faithful? How do you know if someone's full of faith? Well, you know by how they live. <laughs> if you're faithful, is seen in what you do. <laughs> not how you think, not how you talk, but how you act. If you're faithful, you're consistent. If you're faithful, you do things, you submit to something, right? If you're being faithful to your word, you submit to it even when it's inconvenient, 
Even when you shouldn't have said that. No, I want to be a person of faith. What's that mean? It means you're faithful. You're full of faith. And you submit to the thing. If you're faithful at your job, it means you work hard. I don't, no one's curious if you're faithful at your job. They can see it, right? If you're faithful at your job, you stay even when another opportunity comes. If you're faithful in your marriage, it implies constant action, doesn't it? Constant action. You can't be faithful without constantly acting. That's kind of the definition of the word. You're continually doing the same thing over and over again. To be faithful in your marriage is to say yes to one person over and over and over again. And the minute you stop saying that, then to be faithful to one person is to say no to everyone else over and over and over. And how does someone know if you're faithful? Well, they just look at your life, right? Now, see, this is a very different definition of faith, isn't it? In fact, the second you stop being faithful, what is it called? Faithless. The second you stop acting, the second you stop resisting, the second that you, you just let your defenses down and you quit doing the thing you know you ought to do, someone could say, you're being faithless. Now, we think faith is a noun, don't we? We think faith is something you own or, or it's some sort of religious institution. Do you have faith? Have you tried faith like a taco, right? That's how we talk about faith. Like a taco. Have you tried it? Like a taco. You tried tacos? You tried faith? It's like this. It's a noun. The New Testament authors and the whole authors of the Bible all together, they seem to think faith is more of a verb. It's more of an action. It's more of something that you constantly do. And the second you stop doing it, it makes you faithless. Listen. You understand what I'm saying? The point should be clear. Faithfulness makes faith visible. That's a big sentence right there. Why did we read this whole, what did it say about this whole list? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us. See, what we're seeing in this list, y'all, is faith made visible. And what did it look like? Conquering kingdoms, right? Like great feats of endurance and strength and action. By their faithfulness, they made faith visible. This is why one of the biggest testimonies in the world is who? Dude, it's me and you. Y'all know this? If you're a Christian, your life is to be a witness, one of the main witnesses in the earth as to what? Jesus, who he is, what he's done. You guys get this? Your story matters. Like what God has done in your life matters and it makes an impact on the world. Well, okay. So the book of James also agrees with this idea of faith. That's what we read. And let me read it again to us real quick, a little shorter snippet of it. He says this, what good is it brothers if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Now, all of us reformed guys are getting real uncomfortable because this is by faith through grace, not by works, pastor. I'm just reading the Bible to you, bro. All right, just reading the Bible to you. Can that faith that doesn't have works, save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and feel something like a pastor, right? Go in peace, right? Without giving them the things needed for the body. In other words, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You heard that one? What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by 
my works. In fact, it goes on later to give a, a parallel parable. And it says, you know how the body's dead without the spirit? So your faith is dead without action that backs it up. In other words, here's the question that I'm just wrestling with right now with you right now. Right now, I'll say it one more time. Can, can you be a person of faith and not, and without being faithful? Can you? Can you be a person of faith and not be faithful? Apparently not, according to scripture. It's a verb, it's an action, right? You are either present tense, faithful, which means you're walking and acting and living, and the other option is faithless. To try faithfulness and then to bail is to be faithless. And for some reason, we think having faith, it can just be in our minds. But we know faithfulness by how you live. And the Bible makes a really big deal about faith, doesn't it? You know, it says all these crazy things like it's by faith alone. And it's so true. If, if you believe in your heart. And yes, yes, yes. The question is, what does faith actually do in your life? What kind of person does it make you into? We know we're saved by faith, not works. But does faith work? You see? Does faith work? Does it do anything? And Hebrews 11 seems to think it does. What we see in Hebrews 11 is those who were commended for their faith did things. Like, did things that were very real, very tangible, measurable things in their life. Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, the whole list. All those things done through faith. In other words, it was because of their faith that they were people of radical action and discipline and passion and endurance. Some of you like some of those words, other those words you hate, right? And it was all enabled by a deep trust in who God was. If their faith, y'all, had just lived in their minds, they would not have made the list. Do you have a faith that does not require faithfulness? Does your faith actually do anything in your real life? And if so, if your faith doesn't do anything, I'm, I, I, dude, I, I don't know if you understand what it means to be a person who believes. I'm not sure if faith is like an active present force in your life if it doesn't require faithfulness, right? The Bible seems to think when we believe, our lives naturally follow. And this is very true. This is how faith by grace still works. Listen, let me tell you what I mean. If you believe that money will make, your, make you happy, guess what your life will look like? The passionate pursuit. The, the passion means willing to suffer, you know? If you think... Money is what makes life worth living. You will suffer. You will sacrifice your kids on the altar of more money. You'll sacrifice your marriage. You will, you will go through all sorts of horrible things. Suffer, sawn into, stoned, right, to make more money. If you think that's, if you are confident that a bigger house is what you need, dude, your life will follow. You'll spend all your time on Zillow, right, right? Right? You're going to do whatever you have to do to make the deal to get that bigger life. And does anyone, is any, if someone's observing your life, do you think they're curious what you want in life? No, it's clear. Because your whole life is guided by what you really believe. Right? Now, some of you, let's just take this for example. If you said to me, right, some of you probably could say this honestly. If you said, I believe exercise is the most important thing in life. It makes life worth living, right? And then I was like, some of you probably are, that you really actually believe that because you look good, right? Um, and then it, but let's say someone said that to me, right? And I said, wow, man, that's awesome. 
How much do you exercise? Oh, dude, I don't. It's the worst. Wait, I'm sweating? No, I don't exercise. All right? Okay, well, uh, I don't think you actually believe that exercise is like the best thing in the world, right? Because you cannot have faith and be unfaithful. You don't have faith in exercise if you don't exercise, right? You can't have faith and be unfaithful, all right? So the question's clear, right? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe that he was the smartest man who had things to say about your sexual ethic, who had things to say about how you deal with your money, who had things to say about how you treat your wife and your husband? He had things to say about how you go to work. If you believe that, your life will naturally follow. It's not something you have to muster. It's, some, it's, it's like a door you walk through. This is why faith can be so utterly transformative in a second. And we see people's lives completely transformed the moment they walk through the cave. It's like this. Like, here's a picture I heard this week. This is so good. Like, you could travel from Texas to um, the border of Canada, all right? You could go all the way up to the very border and stay right there. And we'd say, man, you've done so much work. You've really tried to get there. But you're not in another kingdom yet because all that, you can travel all that way and get right to the line and not step over. And so for, for many of us, we've done a lot of work in our Christianity, We've really tried a lot. We've done a lot of, a lot of the right things, but we're still in your own kingdom. Do you know what the next step is? You know what the step from not believing to believing is surrendering to the rule of the king. You're not in the kingdom. You've, you may be way up to the threshold of the king. You may have done lots of work as a Christian, right? You may have read the Bible. You've done all these things, but you've not yielded to the rules of the kingdom. You've not yielded to his wisdom. You're still in your own kingdom. You're still a king. And until you, that's why faith can be so transformative in a moment, it's not about intellectual ascent. It's about surrender to someone else, them being smarter, wiser than you, and your life can be transformed. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? Faith, as defined in Hebrew 11, is this. We're going to make a real important distinction, then we'll start wrapping it up. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This is very important for us to sit with as Christians. The conviction of things not seen, not seen. Hoped for, not seen. Okay, we need to have a conversation. <clears throat> we need to make a distinction between faith and belief on this side and knowledge and facts on this side, okay? Uh, there is a huge difference between faith and belief and knowledge and facts, just like there's a huge difference between facts, stay with me, turn your brains on, and what we think those facts mean, okay? Stay with me. Let me... Uh, there are things that have just happened in life, okay? Like, let's take this for example. Let's say you're at home with your spouse or your friend, and you're just chilling, having a good time, right? Eating some Cheetos. And there, your friend gets up and walks out, you're just eating Cheetos, and your friend gets up and walks out, and the door is wham, slams, right? There's the fact. That's what happened. You, sitting on the couch, immediately interpret that fact. And you say, why do you hate me? How dare you slam that door on me, right? So there's the fact. The door has slammed. You've interpreted the fact that person hates your guts and wants you to die. Like, why else would the door slam, right? That's how you've interpreted the facts. But they also will tell you, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I just saw a squirrel, and I just wanted to run out and catch the squirrel, so I slammed the door open and slammed shut. That was all. I don't hate you. You interpreted the facts incorrectly, friend. There's facts... And then there's squirrels, you see? So 
I, just, I should stick to the notes, sorry. Um, there's facts and there's how we interpret the facts. There's knowledge and then there's what you believe about that knowledge. We tracking? How we interpret what the facts will, will be based on what you believe. There's knowledge and there's belief. Let me give you another example. Science majors on facts. There are the facts of the world. Can I tell you some facts? There's a sky, and it's blue. And there's clouds, and clouds are made of this. The other day, I was like driving in the rain, and I was like, how the heck is all that water in the sky? And it's just like, science can tell you the facts about that. How the water's getting up there, that's the facts, right? There's clouds, they're made of this, and they rain if they, that's the facts. There's the sun, there's a sun, and it's made of stuff, right? And there's, there's air, and we breathe it. And there's something in it that makes us live. Okay, I'm not a scientist, but those are the facts, okay? That's knowledge, got it? It's knowledge. Now, faith is going to say, all that's true. Hey, hey, I love it. I love it. All that stuff's true. And it's all declaring the glory of God. Can I prove that? No, I cannot. Do you know why? Because we're talking about faith. We're not talking about facts. We're talking about something you believe. Can you prove that the universe is declaring the glory of God? I'll be honest, it's pretty convincing in my opinion. You seen a sunset lately? Come on. You seen the Grand Canyons? You seen the ocean? Seen the tides? Seen the mountains? Like, it's pretty convincing to me. But can I prove it? No. Do you know why? Because we're talking about faith. We're not talking about facts. We're talking about something I believe, a conviction of something. We're talking about a hope. Something I don't see, I can't prove, you understand? There's facts, and then there's how we interpret the facts. I interpret the cosmos as a generous gift of the overflowing goodness of a father who loves me, who I cannot see. And that makes me into a kind of person. Now there are people on the other side of that corn. Corn? God, I say that all the time. Every time I say coin, I say corn. What is happening? There's people on the other side of that coin. And they believe, also cannot prove, that there is nothing on the other side, that there is no beautiful mind, there is no intelligent creator, and it creates a kind of person. Tracking? Creates a kind of person. In honesty, a person who has no intellectual grounds to say that there's any morality in all of life. Because if there is no transcendent, eternal king who has laid out for us morality, then your morality is simply your culture's preferences, and you cannot prove that otherwise. You have no defense against saying Hitler is wrong. You cannot say that because there is no transcendent ethic law if there is nothing on the other side. You have to just say that his codes were just different than ours and less prudent. You can't condemn him as evil. That's the position. That's, the thing, that's, the, that's what is produced in us when you don't believe there's someone on the other side, right? My belief, y'all, accomplishes something in me. Hope, gratitude, connection to God because of something that I have chosen to believe. And this is the cool thing about belief. It does stuff in your life. It like really does stuff. If I did not believe that the Lamb of God had taken, has taken away my sins, if I did not believe that God was merciful and gracious towards me, I would not still be married. I wouldn't make it. Because, you know, when you're not forgiven, you can't forgive. When you don't believe you're forgiven, you can't offer forgiveness, right? Faith 
does things in your life. And you cannot have faith without being faithful to those things, right? So the point of that whole rant is that you can't prove either that there is a beautiful mind on the other side or there isn't because we're not talking about facts and knowledge. We're talking about belief and faith. We're talking about how we interpret the facts, right? In fact, I say I believe something when I don't know. That's when belief kicks in, y'all. I know Christians don't, are uncomfortable with this. We think, well, I'm a Christian. I know it's true. Okay, well, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what faith means you don't know, actually. Like faith means you are choosing to believe something when you cannot prove it. Facts and knowledge are provable. Faith and belief kicks in when you don't fully know. That's why it says we see through a mirror dimly. We have a hope, a conviction of something that we cannot see. Right? And if you are waiting for a watertight argument or some direct scientific proof, I, you're going to be waiting a whole long time to get into Christianity. Faith sees through a mirror dimly. It's a hope. And many, many secular people would say, yeah, and it's a wishful hope. You know that one? They say, you just want to believe something's on the other side. You're wishful thinking because you can't cope with the hard realities of life and the loneliness of life. You just wish God existed. You just wish there was a loving father. Yes, I, I hear that, and I can see why people can do that, but let me just tell you, wishing goes both ways. I could easily say to an atheist or an agnostic that you believe that belief that there is no God is also wishful thinking, and it's wishful thinking that you will not be held ultimately accountable for your life. I could see why, how I'd wish for that, right? <laughs> right? We may be both wishfully thinking on either side, but one of these things has to be true, right? Faith is the conviction of something. It is the assurance, I hope, that you cannot, that we do not fully possess here and now. It takes faith to be a sound Christian. It takes faith to be a sound atheist. Because in both cases, we are not talking about facts. We are talking about how we have chosen to interpret the facts. Got it? So you could define faith as... Oh, faith in anything as this, and you're not, probably not going to like this definition. Thinking, acting, and living as if something is true. Some Christians scoff at that because they think, well, faith's real, God's real. and blah, blah, blah. I know, I, I'm a pastor, okay, I get it. My question is, do you live like it's real? <laughs> like, do you live like... God is infinitely good towards you. Do you live like God will provide for you? Do you live as if God is with you 24-7? Do you live without fear or shame or doubt as if God had flung open the doors of sin to your life? Do you live that way? Because if you don't, I don't know if you, I don't know, I don't know. Because I think faith is living and acting and thinking as if it were real, right? Are you faithful to what Jesus taught and claimed or not. Let me just end with this, because I'm boring you, I can tell. I can tell your eyes have glazed over. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Let me end with this. Uh, Christians tend to think, well, I have faith, and it's really easy, and I just believe, and I got lots of faith. Um, Jesus seemed to think faith was more rare than I think a lot of Christians think. Because Jesus would say things like this, you know, when it comes to believing my claims, when it comes to trusting me, all you need is an itsy, itsy little bit amount, and amazing things will happen in your life. When the disciples, when the disciples' faith couldn't do anything, when, it was, when their faith was powerless in their lives, right? In Matthew 17, they couldn't cast a demon out. They come to Jesus, and they say, hey, why couldn't we do it? And he says, well, it's, it's actually because you don't believe. And he says this, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like 
a grain, a grain of a mustard seed. Not even the seed, bro. <laughs> like a grain on the seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? It's like a tomato seed. It's like the smallest thing you've ever seen. If you just have the faith of a grain on a mustard seed, you'll say to a mountain, move. And it will move. In fact, nothing will be impossible for you. Listen, we like to pretend like we're people of great faith. We like to act like I really believe. And Jesus is saying, dude, all you need is just a little bitty, itsy bitsy amount. And mountains will move, sister. Dude, what feels like a mountain in your life right now? Like, what is the thing right now that is dominating the, come on, stay with me. What's the thing that's dominating the landscape of your life, that's making you despair if you can't go another day? The thing you think, I can't make it through this. What is it? And Jesus is saying, dude, just a little bit of faith in me, man. Just a little bit of faith. And that mountain will turn into a molehill. What felt oppressive and dominating to you, I can move. This is the promise, y'all. We don't have to pretend like we have great faith. In fact, as I was sitting with this this week, the prayer that just kept ruminating in my spirit over and over is the prayer of the Father who says, I believe, man, help my unbelief. Like, I want to believe, but I don't believe, right? And if you can resound with that prayer, if you can resound with man, I want to believe, I want to see, I want to be faithful, but I just, I, I, I know I don't, I can't. Can we, dude, why, we just pray? I mean, you know, we're in church. Let's just pray and ask God. You know, faith is also talked about like a gift that God gives, that he reveals. And if you're here today and you feel locked outside of faith, if I were to say, hey, you can be a faith, you can be a person of faith. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about faith, right? Being a person of faith, right? But you feel cemented out of that. I think Jesus can obliterate that wall. I think you can walk right through that today because of what Jesus has done. So can we just pray? Let's pray together, right where you're at, come on. The interesting thing about when uh, Jesus went to his hometown, you know his hometown, he went to his hometown, and uh, it says, he says this in his hometown, he says, he could do no mighty work there, except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, which to me feels pretty mighty. Um, and he says, he marveled at their unbelief. He says, he could do no mighty works. Let me just real quick and we'll get out of here. Uh, this is not some sort of tinkle, Tinkerbell situation right? As if your lack of faith somehow weakens Jesus, like clap if you believe. It's not what's happening. Uh, Jesus is saying, your willingness to trust me will be directly related to your experience of me in this life. I want to do amazing things in your life that require trust in a partnership. And there are things Jesus wants to do in your life if you will but trust him, but you got to let him lead, bro. You got to let him start calling the shots. Or you're, still, you're, or you're warring against his kingdom, saying you're in it. Jesus, over my friends right now, who are fighting against you in their hearts and they know it, would you have mercy? God, would you convince them now of your kindness towards them in your son that you gave, God, that we come to the table today to receive what you've done for us. And God, would you catalyze our lives to be people of faith? We believe, help our unbelief.